Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another fantastic and wonderful, marvelous, dare I say, uh, episode of That Girl with the Curls. This is episode 33, which I find to be extremely appropriate uh, because it's all about Daredevil. Uh, and if you are a fan of Daredevil or know anything about the character, you'll, you'll probably understand why 33 is an important number to him. Uh, if not, just, you know, Google some numbers and, and figure it out, I suppose. Uh, this episode features my friends uh, JP, who you'll remember from previous podcasts, and my friend Jerry, uh, who is a virgin to this uh, podcast. We we pop his cherry on the podcasting uh, side of things. Uh, so yeah, uh, Jerry is a pretty you know he's a pretty knowledgeable guy about Marvel and uh, especially Daredevil. So I wanted him on and uh, my friend JP. He he wrote the um, the review of Daredevil on Maniacal Geek, which you can go to maniacalgeek.com and read. It's a great piece. Uh, he got to it before I could, so thank you JP for that one. Uh, so yeah, we're talking all about the Daredevil um, miniseries. Uh, I don't want to really call it a miniseries, but I guess a 13-episode awesomeness that happened. And uh, it's also appropriate because it was just recently announced that uh, Season 2 has been green-lighted, and that's going to come out soon, um, probably in about another year or so. So we're looking forward to that. This episode could have gone a lot longer. I mean, there's there was there's plenty to talk about when you have 13 episodes of uh, of a show that really doesn't falter, you know, in in the course of things. But uh, we were under a bit of a time crunch, uh, a little bit of my fault, sorry. But uh, there's always room for another episode about Daredevil. I could talk about this miniseries for a long time, and uh, certainly could have done that if I didn't have plans that uh, got in the way of this podcast at the time. So uh, take a listen, enjoy it, and uh, come back for more. Yeah, you're fine. All right. Am I coming through loud and clear? Yeah, you guys are fine. Okay. Oh, I am too. Uh, this is my first time. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're popping his uh, Skype cherry. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yes. <laughs> Do you need me to Pamela this? No, I'm recording on Audacity actually, so we're Perfect. good. Um, so yeah, let's let's get started on this little daredevil powwow thing. Um. <laughs> Welcome back, JP. It's been a while since uh, you've been on the show. A little bit of time. A little bit of time has gone by. Not not a lot, but just enough that people are like, not "Man, no. where's JP?" It hasn't been lifelong yet. No, so that's all that matters. <laughs> Three years from now, you come back. <laughs> it's like, where you been, man? 
know. And then, but hey, listen, this is a big like couple of weeks. I wrote something. I'm podcasting. Yeah. It's like the world has flipped itself upside down. It's like you're coming back into the community, man. Welcome. <laughs> and also, welcome Jerry Loveless, your first time on the show, perhaps not the only time. Thanks for having me, and you'll have to make that decision later. Yes, exactly. When I'm booking, I'll be like, hmm, do I want Jerry back? Not again. This is your audition, sir. <laughs> it's like, make it a good one. Duly noted. Yes. Uh, and so we're gathered here today uh, in the sight of God and the, all those present uh, to talk about Daredevil. Most recent uh, Netflix series, uh, 13 episodes of pure daredevil goodness. Um, and uh, so, JP, are you, you're, you're not a big Marvel reader, are you? Well, so I do read Marvel, but to be quite honest, I haven't read anything recently. <laughs> um, but so here is my sort of caveat to Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Daredevil, for me, I guess this will sound sort of cliche, is kind of like Dead Man for DC. Mm -hmm. Not just because of the obvious similarities, but because Daredevil only tends to be interesting to me when he's in someone else's book. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning, like, when I see Daredevil... Spider-Man, or Daredevil and Moon Knight, or Daredevil and some other person. Daredevil and Friends? Right. I'm like, alright, I'm in. That's great. But Daredevil by himself tends to be whiny. (laughs) And so, I don't do a lot of Daredevil by himself. Mm. And I know there's a lot of committed Daredevil fans, but so, I, I apologize in advance. Well, no, I hear you. I, I, I'm wondering, have you read any of Frank Miller's Daredevil? I Bits and pieces. I'm never a full arc. Like, someone will have it, and I'll pick it up and read through it. And yeah, It's entertaining, but it never caused me to go out and buy it. No, I hear you. I just think it's interesting, because you were saying about him guest-starring other places. Because Frank Miller was on Spider-Man and drew Daredevil and asked to be put onto Daredevil. And then he ended up reshaping the character and bringing him out of cancellation. So it's interesting you said that, just because that's how Frank Miller got into Daredevil, was on a guest spot into Spider-Man. And then history was made. (laughs) Well, and Daredevil is that kind of character. Now, I will say this. Before we go anywhere further, this TV show completely redefined my opinion of Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because... It made me put into perspective what a character like Daredevil actually brings to the table. Yeah. And in that regard, I will probably go back and read Daredevil with a different mentality. Okay. I, I recommend um, Frank Miller's two, two collected trades, um, Man Without Fear and Born Again. Because I mean, there's so much in this show. That comes straight from those books. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what. Yeah, I was when I was reading up on the series. They were saying that they they drew a lot from Frank Miller's runs, which are you know rightly so definitive versions of Daredevil. Because um, yeah, my uh, my background with Daredevil is that I saw the movie and that's about it. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> so just, but now that we have the street level heroes uh, coming to Netflix as part of the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. it's just, it's like, what I really appreciated from the get-go is the little little ways that they peppered in references to the Avengers, but didn't make the show about the fact that they're in the same world as the Avengers. It's just, it's just there. You understand it. Yeah. But it's not like, oh yeah, it's like, let's just have a cameo from Iron Man. It's like, no, it's not going to happen that way. It's Matt Murdock and his world presented to us in this particular way. And it's, Fucking awesome! <laughs> yeah, so Stephen DeKnight kind of had this very interesting problem that he faced, right? Mm-hmm. Because he had this established MCU whose rules he kind of had to abide by. Yeah. But then he was also given, look, no pressure, but we just spent a crap ton of money with Netflix on this deal, and we kind of need Daredevil to be Iron Man 1. Yeah. Right? Like, we need it to be self-defining. And let's face it, we've seen in with other films and other television series where that initial show has failed. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the rest of the, you know, connected universe has suffered. And he does it perfectly. He says, look, these are kind of the rules and confines that the story has to be told in. So we're going to acknowledge those and we're going to acknowledge them organically. But then outside of that, fuck it all. (laughs) We're just going to go and do this whole new world building and we'll frame it in Hell's Kitchen so that Essentially, as the viewer, you just believe that Hell's Kitchen is the black hole of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And what goes on there is just so terrible that Captain America would never waste his time going in there. <laughs> and it it works. Like, it makes sense that you would, in this world, if you grew up in Hell's Kitchen and you see all these, like, crazy superheroes and and aliens that yeah i kind of have these this super sense so this is what i should do because this is the world i grew up in and now these are the rules that kind of define what makes sense because what i think um charlie cox does very well is he he really plays up as matt murdoch the conviction that well this makes perfect logical sense like this is not out of the norm at all and even when um, Foggy is questioning him about it. Oh, by the way, spoilers alert. Yeah, spoiler alert for the entire series. Right. Even when Foggy is like, he finds out and he's questioning him and he's like coming down on him, he's like, dude, no, you don't get it. This makes perfect sense. Like, there really wasn't another choice in within the rules of the way the world works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jer- and I thought it was done well. Yeah, Jerry, what did you what did you think? I mean, overall of the series. Overall, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank Miller got credit, uh, you know, in articles I've seen. Um, it really reminded me a lot of Brian Michael Bendis and Alec Maleev's run on Daredevil, mm-hmm. with the dark grittiness of it, um, just visually. Yeah. Um, I loved 
so many of the Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was watching it just my first time through, and I'm seeing stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And um, we already warned spoilers. When Mr. Potter, Potter is mentioned, mm-hmm. and they go to, we see Mr. Potter's shop when he's getting suits for um, Owlsley and uh, Fisk. Mm-hmm. And we see um, on the wall is a poster of, like, it's like a movie poster or like a gladiator movie poster. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Mr. Potter in the comic books is the gladiator. Mm-hmm. The original one, yep. Yeah, and I saw that on the wall, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's perfect. And, I, you know, yesterday I was flipping through comics, and the, it's like, it's literally a cover. It's cover, I think, 226 mm-hmm. um, of, of Daredevil 226. And the cover is Gladiator in that exact same swing, and it's just a, a re-artist um, a redrawing of that exact cover. And I was like, wow, like someone actually took the time to take that and put that there. And the saw blades, you know, being thrown, and then all the plans for his ejecting saw blades on the table when he Daredevil gets his new suit finally in the last in the last episode. I mean, all these little attention to details. And that I'm, I'm just talking Guardian right now. I mean, we could talk for hours about the whole series. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah, I, the emblem... I, I mean, I, I knew he was the Guardian, yeah. but I really, it didn't really click for me, like, how cool it was until that shot in that episode where he's coming in, and it pans across the room, and it comes right, and it almost pauses, or maybe that was just in my head, No, it right does. off yeah. the Guardian emblem. Yeah, because he climbs down, his left hand goes right onto that podium, and you see his chest logo right there on the, on the, on the... The, like you said, on the podium or whatever it was there. And the thing about it is, um, so that particular Guardian, correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, maybe you know better, has never been portrayed in pop culture outside of the comic books. Um, you yes. normally see the later versions of the Guardian. Um, yeah, as far as I know, I've never seen this, this specific one where Melvin Potter, who is obsessed with Betsy... And she's the social worker taking care of him. I mean, that's in... Uh, when Frank Miller was drawing Daredevil in 166, uh, we've got that whole chunk story. Um, and then obviously the cover from 226. Um, but that's that's straight out of the comics. And I've, n- I've not seen that in, in mainstream media before. Well, I think what's telling about it, and that was a good segue, is that... The reason I don't think Melvin Potter is often portrayed is, one, he was originally a villain, and not a very nice villain. Um, but two, part of his driving force is because he suffers from this almost... Uh, I, I don't know in the comic books if, if it, they actually label him anything particular. But in the, in the TV series, at least, from a clear mental um, trauma... Right, like yeah, he's disabled for sure, and so it it is so well executed. It is so well executed where you can totally buy that this is a guy who is completely obsessive, but also just the sweetest guy. And he's not. I could see him doing something evil, but not for the sake of being evil. Well, and that's exactly how it is in the comics. He is obsessed with Julius Caesar, and thinks he needs to show his honor to win Betsy. And Betsy can tell him uh, straight to to 
I'm glad he your face, straight to, to Melvin's face. Hey, no, it's okay. I'm, you know, I don't have a relationship with you like that. You don't have to fight anyone. And he's like, oh, but Julius Caesar thinks I should do this. And then he just goes and, and goes and attacks Daredevil thinking he needs to prove himself in combat. <laughs> so well, it's really a misunderstanding on his part. It's, it's not that he's being evil, in my opinion, at all. And it's an interesting, it's interesting about the show in general that uh, as much as I liked Charlie Cox, and I think I wrote this in my piece for Maniacal Geek. Which was awesome. (laughs) Thanks. Go read it. Um, (laughs) When, what I liked about the show is as much as I liked Charlie Cox, particularly in his Matt Murdock mode, Mm -hmm. um, the... The bad guys of the story, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb, and, and I'm she's not a villain, but I'm going to include Karen's character in this. Okay. But the fall from Grace characters are so compellingly done. Um, I Vincent, and I'm going to say it wrong, I'm sure. Dionofrio. D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. There you go. <laughs> um, as Wilson Fisk is phenomenal, but not just him. Karen's progressive psychoses and um, and Wesley are among my favorite moments on screen. And it's almost like they stopped and said, if Daredevil's going to be the good guy, but someone like this really has to fight people who are crazy, like whose obsessions have driven them mad. And that's really well done, I think. Well, I think well, that, yeah. that is your opinion. Right. Because it's, it's, it's a perspective. Yeah, because Kingpin doesn't come into the show until really, like, to get into him, episode four, mm-hmm. and then five is, like, his really, like, gotcha. his big story. Yeah. And then eight, right, where it's, like, his origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find myself rooting for him. I love Vanessa. I love him and Vanessa. I think it's awesome the their chemistry on screen. I think it's amazing the way they've developed those characters. Yeah, Um, and and some of them don't even you don't really require a lot of information about how they got that way. Like it's important that we know Matt's story. It's you know his 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 true origins or whatever. And also, I think um, adding Fisk's origins. It sets up that um, parallel dynamic between them, and yeah. it's it's the idea of what I love about this series is that everyone has conviction, everyone has a purpose or a, a reason to do something beyond like what Jerry and I were talking about before the show started. You know, it's just like I'm the bad guy, therefore I do bad things, and I'm the good guy, therefore I do good things. Like it's. It's one of the things that I think Marvel has really been good at, like, over the years, is finding that kind of moral gray area where the rest of us live in. Um, that that Matt's, uh, Matt's whole thing isn't purely out of, like, uh, it, it's not all, like, oh, the better angels or whatever. He still has to do some shitty things to people in order to accomplish his goals. Well, and I even, I, I even talked about the, the best part I actually found myself right around episode eight, actually kind of hoping, even though logically I knew it would never happen, that Fisk would end up being the hero. Because what ends 
up happening is you have these two characters, and particularly in the second half of the season, Matt's whole purpose, the whole intent of his story at that point is do I or don't I kill, Mm -hmm. right? And so there becomes this, this line on one side is Matt and one side is Wilson. And the only thing that separates them is they're willing to kill people. And in episode eight, we, we kind of find that that Fisk's willingness to kill people is not his fault, right? Like none of us would believe that he was, that was his fault, that he was driven because there's this differentiation in how they were parented. And so as a result, you become the kingpin versus becoming daredevil because this event that pushed you to being willing to kill is really the thing that separates the two of them. When you also have uh, you also have Karen kind of in the middle of that where she she kills out of her own self defense, and then it's like, but she's not a terrible person, and it's it's almost like um, another version of that story. Uh, Fisk killed because he was protecting his mother, or was uh, you know trying to save his mother and everything. But then, because of what happened afterwards, like with her helping cover it up, and he obviously continued making uh, you know those same decisions as he grew up. Versus Matt, who you know really never had to deal with outright killing someone, but has grown up in an area where crime is rampant, where people have to make those tough decisions between like. Are you the good or the bad guy? Well, like, where is that distinction? And and then Karen is kind of like almost embodies both sides of that in in a in a strange way. Well, look at Stick. Oh yeah, yeah. Stick trained Daredevil or Matt when he was young, and when it got to the point where okay, we're going to go to Knives, which is likely okay, we're going to start learning about killing, right? Mm-hmm. And then he stops teaching this good-hearted boy and leaves, and he comes back and obviously right away again big time spoilers, but he starts killing people right away. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you're saying because Fisk kills people, even though he has good intentions, and that makes him a bad guy, are you saying that Stick is a bad guy? Because he straight decapitates someone in his opening scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So I think that, well, and we get sort of a spoiler for Iron Fist there, right? But, um, or a preview into what will be Iron Fist story. But um, the interesting thing about Stick is that even though he trains Daredevil, I never think he is the hero. He's never the hero. His conviction has clearly driven him over the edge. And I think Stick is not meant to be the hero or the villain. He's meant to be the cautionary tale. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is what will happen if you cross that line. Mm -hmm. And maybe some people see him as a hero, and maybe some people see him as a villain. But it's clearly Matt sees him as the villain. That is that is the whole point of that episode. Mm-hmm. Was that? Well, so I was, one of the wonderful struggles where he sees him as a potential villain. Right? He doesn't like that he, he kills people, but he still has love for him. Yeah, they're able to. Show he loves this guy, so it's confusing. Yes, and I I would the only thing I would have liked to have seen a little bit of that more. I think it would have added to the story is if they had played more into Matt's own psychoses where he maybe he begins to start justifying what Stick does as a means of justifying his own actions. 
And I do think the conversations with Father Lansom, which really is where that plays out, are well done. But I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity when Stick was there to, to go further down that path. Well, you you kind of have the similar conversations, not just with um, Father Lantum, uh, yeah, yeah. but there's also when when uh, Matt and Foggy are having their falling out conversation. Basically, that's where I think they they start to play up that idea of like this is wh- this is what Matt believes in. Like he's still struggling with it, but there's there's just moments where he's justifying his actions to Foggy, who is completely on the side of uh, you know like this this isn't how we do things. Like the 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 law is is what we're supposed to trust in, and then Matt's like, no, we can't do like I can't do that because it's never going to fix things the way we really want it to be fixed. Um, so it, it's really interesting how you get those conversations with Matt and other people. And how his side of the argument starts to really formulate what will, you know, now that he's Daredevil by the end of the series, spoilers, um, <laughs> it, it just really like every conversation where he has to justify his own actions or struggles with it just really makes you identify with the guy more and, 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 and look at what he's doing and being like, no, no, you know, his way is, is the better way, even though it's not the good way all the time. Yeah, it's interesting. Foggy makes a reference to Captain America. He says, you can put wings on my head, it doesn't make me Captain America. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really telling with him taking that point of view when getting upset with Matt. Um, Obviously, he's upset that Matt didn't tell him because he said, I would have told you. Yeah. Um, But referencing Captain America and taking that kind of stance as far as like, don't go try to kill someone, you know, don't go be so violent, um, is that... It's in that same world as the Avengers, and he, Foggy, obviously likes Captain America, mm-hmm. and so I, I think that's that's really telling as far as the character. And and, well, and go ahead, Sam. No, just uh, Eldon Eldon Henton. That's his name, right? Henton. Yeah, yep. uh, I was just about to say that. This. Yeah, because uh, that that episode between um, Charlie Cox and Eldon Henton, when they're, I mean, just as Matt and Foggy is probably my favorite episode of the entire series. Because up to that point, I mean, it's it's been so, like, Matt doing his thing and keeping it from, you know, uh, the, you know the person in the series that he trusts and loves the most, you know, with, with, um, with Foggy. And then for him to find this out about, you know, Foggy to find this out about Matt, just completely, like, making, you know, forcing them to, like, throw their worldviews at each other in a way that we haven't seen before. And it really kind of shows Foggy... Um, as a character who embodies everything that I think Matt wants to be, the guy who really, truly believes in the law. But, you know, I, I don't know. So I just think I started talking and then I lost it, but I just really loved well, that oh, se- that whole episode. Yeah, so here's what I would say. Give some major kudos to Eldon Henson because one of the problems I've had with Daredevil historically is when he does appear in pop culture his most important sub character supporting character is foggy nelson and foggy always seems like a throwaway to me even in the ben affleck movie foggy felt like a throwaway character to me yeah he's just there to crack wise (laughs) and it was and when they cast 
Eldon Henson, I kind of thought, well, he's going to be kind of the jokey dude, right? Like, that's that's what they're going to do with him. He's going to be the comic relief in an otherwise very serious, gritty sort of thing. Mm. And yet, he never becomes that. He never, even when he's the one telling the joke and keeping it lighthearted, he never becomes the comic relief. He always kind of embodies his own being he, fe- he feels is. like a person that that's i think that's yes. the the brilliant thing about this series is that no one feels like a, a a caricature everyone feels like a fully fleshed out person um to the point where like yeah like a guy like foggy who could have easily just been like oh i make the joke kind of guy it's like yeah at first he's presented as you know cracking wise because he's like oh yeah we could make a little bit more money right matt um, but as the series progresses, you really understand that that's just foggy. That's just, he really wholeheartedly believes that the law is, is going to, to be the best route to take care of people like Wilson Fisk. Um, and it's only in the last couple of episodes where he's, he's a little bit more on Matt's side where it's like, okay, well, I don't necessarily agree with it, but yeah, go do your thing, man. And I'll keep your secret. Um, but throughout that entire, the entire 13 episodes, they just, progressed him to a point where like no he's just a guy and this is how this this guy would react and i'm done (laughs) yeah it was it was very well done i the character development i mean we can go into the character development around all of the characters was fantastic and we could go in one by one i mean rosario dawson as claire temple was fantastic Mm -hmm. and i it just makes me so excited i hope she appears in everything yeah, but um, <laughs> you will just be more. Yeah, just put her. Uh, shoot, if we're gonna see Spider-Man in what is it, Captain America? Mm-hmm. He should be lying on her table, getting patched up. That is how good she was. Yeah. Um. So there's there's that, and again, Deborah Ann Wool as Karen was fantastic, and it actually makes me incite, excited to see her fall from grace, like. The, the progression of her madness. I want there to be more seasons just to see her go nutso. You want her right? to go like full on drug addict and everything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, because it would be totally within the realm of how they've already built her. Yeah, no, it I mean, is... she drops little hints that there's, you know, whatever her past is prior to that it hasn't been fun. Yeah, well, huge spoiler, like for the comics, like possibly season two is. You know, she went to Mexico, got into porn and drugs, and in the, the TV series, she speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. She alludes multiple times to a, a shady past. Yep. Um, so it's it's definitely setting up that direction. I think they will draw from from um, from that in season two, big time. Yeah, and there's definitely like that exchange between her and Wesley where she has the gun on him right before she shoots him. She's like, "How do you know I haven't fired a gun?" You know, it's just, it's those little, like, pieces of dialogue and just them peppering other stories that have yet to be told that just makes you want, like, yeah, I want a season, can we get a season two before we get, what, I think, we get Jessica Jones is next? We get Jessica Jones, then we get Luke Cage, then we get Iron Fist, and I'm guessing Daredevil 2 will be around the same time as Iron Fist, Mm -hmm. especially because there are so many references. I mean, I was going crazy. It, It was... Um, exciting for me because I'm like, oh, they're really setting up Iron Fist here. Yeah. And then I, I realized 
no, we've got a couple other movies or TV series. Uh, they're basically 13-hour movies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and we've got a couple more series before we get to, to Iron Fist. But, I mean, Madam Gal, mm-hmm. I believe she's awesome. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. I, I think she's Crane Mother from the comics. And yeah. that seems to be the, the thing, particularly that moment where she has that one... Like, I'm just going to bitch slap you, Daredevil. Get out of my way. (laughs) One hit, and Daredevil's, like, on the ground writhing, yeah. He's like, oh, God, not again. Even without that, the the fact that Steel Serpent's logo is stamped on all her drugs, Mm -hmm. that's Steel Serpent's logo um, because Steel Serpent is the champion of um, Q&Z, which is the, the capital city of heaven that... Um, Crane Mother is from. Okay. So it would make sense that if she's Crane Mother, that's her symbol too. Mm-hmm. So right. Steel Serpent is just her champion. Like Iron Fist is the champion for Kun Loon. Um, that's just happens to be that's the symbol for for her people. So that it, it everything jives together as far as going towards um, Iron Fist. I just am bummed that it's going to be what a year and a half. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So the original schedule was not to have second seasons, though. Netflix and Marvel have confirmed that they're willing to do multiple seasons and that they wrote it with the intention of doing multiple seasons, but they have not actually signed off on multiple seasons yet. Well, they're saying that they're saying that the, um, the Netflix series characters could potentially appear in what's, um, infinity gauntlet or something like that. Yeah. Infinity war part one and two. Yeah, exactly. So that they're, I mean, we, we all knew going into this with the Marvel, you know, cinematic universe that any character who appears has the potential to appear anywhere else. But it, Well, and, and it's almost at this point, it would be like getting pulled up to the big leagues, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you could potentially see where Whedon comes in and is like, you know, that Daredevil was fucking awesome, <laughs> and I'm just going to pull him up to the big leagues, and Netflix, you got to deal with that shit. Um, but the... So the original schedule had, as Jerry laid out that way, but we wouldn't see Defenders, which is kind of the payoff mm-hmm. yeah, mini series, yeah. until I think the first half of 2017. Right. So it was, uh, you know, one half 2015, second half 2015, half, 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 and half. Mm-hmm. So, but I would, I, I kind of agree with Jerry that what we might see is now that they now that Daredevil has proven successful that you have maybe a Daredevil season two, I would like to see it actually happen in between um, Iron Fist and Luke Cage Mm -hmm. because I think that it would be a good bridge that Daredevil could introduce some of the things that Iron Fist is going to have to deal with. And since Daredevil is most likely going to be the centerpiece of this cast of characters, mm-hmm. he, it would be interesting to see that Defenders kind of begin there. That's what I was thinking. Kind of like how Iron Man had his sequel, you know, before before the other, like Hulk didn't have a sequel. He hasn't even had one yet before Thor's sequel, before Captain America's sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel I feel the same, same exact way, JP. I, I wanted to, that's kind of why I said that. I want Daredevil season two to have certain elements. Um, and I guess, you know, they could do Daredevil season two after defenders because in season two, they can delve into, um, bullseye and Electra and, and go that direction. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I love that little Easter egg, too, and they're like, what about that Greek girl you were chasing after? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah! And then there was a bullseye Easter egg, too. It's, yeah, the, um, the, the cops. Ace of Spades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sniper. It's like, yes! The yep. And the fact that Kingpin hired that sniper to set up Daredevil mm-hmm. to make it look like the man with the mask in the building is shooting the cops, Yeah, that's exactly a Kingpin and bullseye move. Sweet. Oh sure, <laughs> and, and yeah, in his duffel bag, he's got the ace of spades sitting there. I mean, it was just it was perfect. Yeah, and and especially like if you if you're gonna go with a Daredevil season two, which I fully agree should happen as soon as possible. I mean, because JP, you and I have talked a lot about Arrow and, and the Flash and everything um, in previous episodes or way before when. Um, yes, but so it's it's so amazing that uh, in thirteen episodes. They managed to do a complete origin story that feels, for the most part, really satisfying. I mean, I have some issues with the last episode and kind of how things went down between Daredevil and and, um, and Kingpin, but the overall effect is, okay, we start off with Matt, like, be- you know, just before he becomes Daredevil and end on Daredevil, and you believe every step. Uh, whereas- so, go ahead. Oh, yeah, whereas in like Arrow, a show like Arrow, it still feels like they're trying to figure that out even in season three. So I still have this half-written article, right, that I started to write because I told Sam, Sam, I have this idea. I want to start writing. I have a couple ideas. I want to talk about Star Wars because I'm really excited about it, and I want to talk about Flash because it's been awesome. And so I started writing my Flash story, and literally the like the third sentence of the story is let me just state right now i feel like flash is the best made for tv superhero story that we've ever seen told Mm -hmm. and then like it instantly gets thrown out the window (laughs) (laughs) like so i i mean we can go through and we can list out all the superhero tv shows powers arrow Flash, whatever else. Shield. It was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And really, I I was going to suggest that we rank them and decide between the three of us where we think Daredevil falls. But I'm going to go ahead and push it out there that in terms of just for the fear fact, the mere fact that Daredevil had the most working against it, the most working against it, it's one of the first shows to be delivered in this kind of a um, platform and story. It mm. is sort of pigeonholed by this whole massive MCU that is already kind of predefined some of the rules. It is got, you know, so many things and yet to be so on point mm-hmm. and to not shy away from anything, to not let the sort of silly banter that we love about Guardians and the, you know, over-the-top heroism that we sometimes get from Avengers to have none of that define it and to still be its own thing and be executed so well, for me, puts it right at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. Jerry, what do you you think in terms of uh, superhero shows? Does Daredevil top it or is it still dwarfed by other things? No, I, I, I'm partial to Marvel. A lot of stories that I grew up reading that I absolutely love. Um, and a big reason for that is uh, the women. Mm-hmm. I love a smart, 
um, beautiful but independent woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And growing up reading that in in Marvel books really drew me to a lot of those like X Men and and we're talking about Storm before how she's independent, intelligent, you know, a, a great character. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, this TV show has that in spades. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's you know we talked about Night Nurse, uh, which. We think they're going to be calling her that, right? Uh, even though, right, te- sure. Technically, Night Nurse isn't Claire. They're two different characters in the books, mm-hmm. but I, I'm perfectly fine with them morphing them together. Yeah. Um, but Vanessa was one of my favorite things. I absolutely fell in love with Vanessa, mm-hmm. and it, I guess it helps that I look like Wilson Fisk. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that you know a, a beautiful, intelligent, independent woman can fall in love with someone who looks like Wilson Fisk, you know, really got me in the heart. Um, but yeah, Matt, uh, Crane Mother, who we think she, you know, Madam Gao, uh, even, you know, Josie at the bar, such a small character, mm-hmm. uh, Elena Cardenas, uh, uh, Doris Ulrich. Yeah. Uh, Fisk's mom. I mean, even though she handled her situations differently than I may have wanted her to handle, they're just such great characters. Mm-hmm. And I just love to see that on the screen. So that, that really, um, cemented it for me. Yeah, and just just think what we're gonna get with Jessica Jones. It's gonna be so oh, nice. I know. Like, that's the thing is Brian Michael Bendis was a bigger influence on this Daredevil show than I think he's been getting credit for. I mean, I, I have not seen all the articles out there, but I mean, a few that I've seen where they talk heavily about Frank Miller. And granted, they literally took frames from the artist work in Frank Miller's comics and put them on the screen, and they took storyline elements just ripped them straight out of out of the books but they also took a lot from bendis and malieve's um run on daredevil and that's definitely they're going with alias which is aka jessica jones mm-hmm. um you know my brian michael bendis's take on that where we're gonna have luke cage introduced in jessica jones for sure yeah and then we'll see luke cage because they uh, spoiler alert get married and have a baby like oh no Mary and have a baby. I know, no, I'm, I know about that part. <laughs> when I see stuff in the comics, I mean, they totally do stuff different on the screen, mm-hmm. and that's part of you know what's interesting to see their their take. Like in the comic books, Iron Fist's universe, they have the um, these magical, mystical cities, and they're the seven capital cities of heaven, and that's where Iron Fist gets his powers from, mm-hmm. right? Well, one of the things in that world is called White Sky. Mm. And White Sky creates, like, super-powered beings. And so I think they're going that route with Black Sky. Yeah, because that, that, yeah. that was probably one of the things that I was the most confused about with that kid. I was like, okay, no one's explaining this to me, so I assume it's something that's going to come up down the road, but I was I was lost on that one. I mean, yeah, that was clearly the plant the seed for Iron Fist. That whole episode was, we're just going to sprinkle these elements in because stick is important to Daredevil, but this is the, hey, pay attention because this is going to matter later episode. Mm-hmm. And I really, I honestly think they're going to put it together with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I know how some people consider Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like a different thing or they don't watch it or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I do. And I do. changing White Sky that makes power people into Black Sky, and maybe this is just me being over-analytical, but the Terragon mist, the, the mist that changes in humans to activate their powers, mm-hmm. um, and they're also being rare, 
um, I, I really think that those could be in humans. Yeah, no, I mean, and they're 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 definitely going to start teasing, you know, not teasing, but dropping hints about the Inhumans movie that's in the works as well. So, I mean, what I what I really enjoyed about like Daredevil versus something like Agents of Shield, and it's not like comparing the two; it's just more or less like what their scope is. Like, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a worldwide thing. Like, they can go to places like Bahrain and Haiti and all this kind of stuff. Um, whereas what's so great about Daredevil is how, um, isolated it is. It's just in this one area, and yet as isolated as it is, as, as insular as Hell's Kitchen is supposed to be, it still feels epic. The, the, when the explosions happen and uh, you Vanessa and Fisk are watching it from the from the windows of this like high-rise building and all these explosions are going off in uh, in Hell's Kitchen it still feels like this is the entire world right now like everything happening right now matters because of this area that we've we've grown we've grown to like identify with on a certain level because it's important to Matt and it's important to Foggy and everything and it's important to Fisk uh, that's the sh- that's the showrunners letting us feel like Daredevil mm-hmm. because that's right. how Daredevil feels. You mentioned Daredevil going to the Avengers if Joss Whedon wants it. Yeah, I mean if Joss Whedon says I want this or I'm out, I think he'll get anything he wants at this point. But well, he's already out after Ultron. Yeah, true. Hmm. But Daredevil has been offered membership to the Avengers and into the New Avengers and turned him down. And in the New Avengers, when Captain America is like, "Come on." I'm going back to the Avengers. I'd like you to be on the new Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Daredevil's like, no, I got, I got too much to worry about in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Um, he's like, I've got my life stuff going on right now. Um, at the time, you know, his identity was revealed, um, and he's fighting, fighting all that issues. But it's always some excuse to where he's caring about Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, and 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 you, especially like if they ever did a scene like that where. You know, Cap comes to to ask Daredevil or whatever, like however that would go down, and he turned him down. You would understand completely why he'd do it. Absolutely. And you're just like, no, you guys got all this other stuff. I just want to stay here and fix this area because it's important to me. Like you guys can have the world. I want Hell's Kitchen. And I think that. Go ahead. No, I I just think that there's something really amazingly awesome about that. So, Jerry, I had not thought about the Black Sky thing, but I agree, and that would is exactly how they should go with it. Um, but I would say, I would take this forward. I think that as much as I, and I wrote this in my piece, as much as I would like to see Daredevil show up in the cinematic universe, what I don't want and I even have a little bit of a concern with where they might go with Iron Fist and ultimately the Defenders. What I don't want is that thing that you're talking about, Sam, to be lost. Because mm-hmm. what often happens, and Arrow is probably the most atrocious current show for this, though if we're going to go back, and I have to admit, and anyone who knows me knows my love of this show, so this is hard for me to admit, Smallville was probably the worst, Mm -hmm. is that sometimes these shows write themselves into a corner. Yeah. Because they try to do a whole lot, and at some point it becomes where it doesn't, it's not believable anymore, where you've pushed it beyond the realm of, 
that's a natural progression. Like, even the whole thing with Roy Harper that's going on in Arrow now, I don't like it. Yeah. It, it all just feels forced to me. And so, but a lot of that is because Arrow, in particular, has written itself in, into um, into a corner. And to be quite honest, it is going to ha- take Flash rewriting the entire history of that universe. <laughs> Yeah. To fix some of the mistakes that Arrow has now made, mm-hmm. right? like X Men, you're talking about Days of Future Past. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna like, we're gonna have a crisis event in the in a DC show at some point. <laughs> absolutely. Look, they, they, this has been coming, right? Like, yeah. The Flash is gonna do Flashpoint, and they're gonna be like, "Okay, great, now we can fix some of this shit," right? <laughs> so, um, but Daredevil never does that, and it. And it could really easily have done that. But I think what Daredevil does, probably more importantly than anything, is that the show has the same singular focus that each character within the show has. Mm -hmm. Like, it is, even when it's introducing elements from other shows or it's referencing things, it's always within context. It's always pushing the story forward so that it, it doesn't feel like, and I'll admit I've binge watched the 13 episodes in like a day and a half. So, yeah, no, yeah. guilty. Uh, yeah, so like, for me it felt like one movie. But that's, did everyone that's watch really, it twice in two days? I did not get through it twice in two days, though I did go back and watch certain episodes over. Yeah, I had to go back. I couldn't do the whole thing because I had other stuff I had to do. No, but. <laughs> But um, but that that singular focus is really important, and that that that's key in terms of where Daredevil goes in the rest of the MCU. It, it's important, I think, for for Daredevil to be the linchpin in the Netflix world. Yeah, but well, um, I got a question for you. Sure. Um, it's a little bit of a setup uh, regarding the believability and forced issue. I honestly didn't even catch it the first time I watched it, and then when I immediately watched. It all the way through again. Um, I saw that when Foggy and Karen took Mrs. Cardenas, who got injured in the explosions, uh-huh. to the hospital, they hand her off to Claire. Right. And Foggy was also hurt. Um, the head nurse that comes in when they notice that uh, is the nurse that was interacting with Ben about Ben's wife. Mm-hmm. Yes, and who runs the... The, the, the hospital there. Right, and she's Claire's boss. And then Matt calls Claire for help while she's standing there. So we've got all of these characters, and oh, and it was for help to fix Vlad, who had kidnapped her and had her beaten. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about all of this, like, same characters we've already met, all in this scene once again. Just classic comic book moment right and it didn't feel forced to me at all i know it's catch it the first time through it's perfectly organic and it's so focused and so the only way i would be okay with daredevil showing like i make the joke earlier about about whedon but that's only because i think there are some of the things that they did in daredevil would speak to whedon Mm -hmm. but um Yeah, yeah he likes it but um the but really, the only way I'm okay with Daredevil showing up in the rest of the MCU is if he shows up in, like, Black Panther 
or, you know, maybe even um, Doctor Strange, because that would feel organic to me. There's there's definitely a sense that, like, because with with these particular Netflix shows and with the way that they um, presented them with, you have 13 episodes, like solid episodes, or, or at least when they started, it's 13 episodes to tell a story. And it's to tell the story of Daredevil's origin, as well as set up Kingpin and all this, all these other elements that are going to play out through these other series. So, and I think it just goes to the fact that a Netflix show like this has to have a focus that's so tight, whereas you have a show like Arrow or The Flash that can kind of like, you know, they've got 26 episodes, give or take, or whatever. And so... It's gonna there. There's gonna be a lot more filler, and that's what makes us go like, man, this story is not organic. <laughs> like this is well, not working. And the filming, and so this now let's let's talk about the delivery, right? Mm-hmm. The filming for Daredevil was shot like a like a film, yeah, right? Because they knew they were gonna release all thirteen episodes at once. Where I think sometimes. You get yourself in trouble with 26 episodes, particularly in today's television world. Oh, yeah. Is that the writers are constantly rewriting themselves Mm -hmm. because they don't film the episode until like six weeks before it airs. So like the season finale for Arrow is either just filmed or is about to film. And so there's they I think you get in trouble but with daredevil look they wrote it they sat down and they filmed it Mm -hmm. and one thing i did like that they did is the story takes place in chunks like there are like four or five episodes at a time that will span across like one or two days in the story and so it's actually written in such a way that it encourages you to binge watch four or five episodes, right? And it's also great because within each episode, like, Matt's apartment gets, like, fucked up in episode, what, five or six, something like that? Never gets fixed. Yeah, never gets fixed. Like, you know, Karen and Foggy are in there, and they see this damage, and it's just like, you gonna change that? Like, people get cut and hurt, and those scars are still there because it's all taking place within the span of probably, like, God, I want to say a few weeks, maybe? Yeah. Like, roughly? (laughs) But it, but it feels, like, so condensed, and so that's what makes you, like, want to keep watching, because they end each episode on that, like, oh, God, I have, to, I have to watch the next one to see what happens. Well, and I think, so, I, I was going to question this, and then I realized we don't need to question this, because we've already bought into this, those mm-hmm. of us who are Doctor Who fans. <laughs> but can a show be sustainable when you get this burst of content, and then potentially unless they change their minds, we may not see Daredevil on any screen again for two years. True. Right? And it's not its not movies, it is television. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think we've, we've all seen that done with Doctor Who now, and maybe it's time that actual television begins to change. I think 26 episodes is too many. I think that... Um, I think that we don't need as many episodes. I think you can tell a story broken up. I I would even go so far as to say that Teen Wolf 
as questionable as that story can sometimes be, <laughs> is entertaining because it's fairly focused. Huh? The MTV show you're talking about? Yes. He really it, loves Teen Wolf. <laughs> oh, okay. it main, but it maintains it because, one, it's fairly focused in its storytelling, the seasons are short, and they're randomly delivered. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of keeps, as much as I've, I've grown less and less a fan, Sam, over time. Ah. Um, it still it works. It, it, it's a it's a process that works, and I think Daredevil is the logical evolution of that. Well, and it, it, it makes me now want to go watch House of Cards because I never watched House of Cards thinking, oh, it's just some throwaway show that I'm really not going to enjoy. And now I'm like, oh, well, maybe I've been wrong this whole time. No, that, that's the whole thing with the with how they've done this, is that, again, you have 13 episodes, they told a complete story, and if, if we don't see anything from Daredevil for the next two years, I mean, I'll st- it, would, it would be a waste, I feel like, but I, I would still be okay with it, because I know, I now know, that when it comes back, it's still going to, you know, hopefully be a solid uh, another 13 episodes, or however they fit Matt into the next, you know, series going forward. Like um, th- that's that's the thing about this is that they've they've gotten our trust and now we're just like okay whenever he shows up I'm good I would love it if it's another thirteen episodes like as soon as possible but damn if I have to wait for the defenders okay like I'm good it's like I'll have other stuff that I now feel is going to be taken care of with as much um, care and love for these characters as they did with Daredevil on like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist like. It, it really feels like with Marvel, they've once again proven that, look, we've got this. Don't worry about it. It's like, okay. <laughs> so uh, something I was going to say earlier, as much as that that's all true, there is a big part of me that wants to see him in the, and, and actually that would air, that would be later than, than we were talking about anyways. But yeah. there's a big part of me that kind of wants to see him in the Black Panther movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love T'Challa just comes shows up he's like hello he's like hi I love Black Panther he and Blade were my first two superheroes that I really fell in love with um don't ask me why it's just how it worked out Mm -hmm. but um and there is and one of some of the my favorite parts of Black Panther's character is not when he's doing the I'm protecting my homeland or I'm working with the Avengers it's in the, I need to get away from being the king slash god embodiment mm-hmm. and go hang out in Hell's Kitchen. Well, yeah, that's um, Man Without Fear. That's, that's Black Panther Man Without Fear. Right. And so there is, so there's there's times, there's a lot of his story that is very, Hell's Kitchen is very important to that character mm-hmm. um, and for a lot of reasons. And so I, that is the only reason why I kind of want to see Daredevil and Black Panther interact. But outside of that, not really. He doesn't need to really interact with anybody else. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we're kind of winding down here, but before before we, we wrap it all up, I do want to talk about like the fights and the um, some of the special effects. Like, let's start let's start with the fighting because. What I genuinely enjoyed about all the fights is that you see Matt get tired. Like, for some reason, that really just hit me because it's like, yeah, guys like fighting, 
you know, all these people, he's going to get tired after a while. <laughs> and they were really good about showing that level of exhaustion because he's still, as much as he has these abilities, he's not superhuman. <laughs> it's like, he's not Cap. He's going to get tired eventually. Um, but, but what did, uh, Jerry, what did you think about the, the fight choreography in the show? Well, the brutality. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what talking about a, a character needing an R rating. Yeah. Um, or a mature rating on TV or, you know, however you, you've got to do it. Um, it's not enough. <sighs> I guess it's say like that cartoony violence, like Bam Pow, mm-hmm. you know, versus like seeing the blood, seeing the injuries, um, having it seem like realistic violence. Um, and that's, that's really, I, I loved it. I mean, that's why I wanted Wolverine to be rated R. Yeah. They're never going to give you that one, though. I wanted a short, ugly Wolverine, but let's not get into that. <laughs> if only they cast the characters appropriately over at Fox. Uh, Jason, what did you think about the, uh, the, the, I guess, the violence level and the fighting? So, Peter Shinkoba, Shinkoda, sorry, who plays uh, Nobu, mm-hmm. yeah. was brilliant. And that fight scene with him and Matt is, like, I went back and I watched that several times. Mm -hmm. Because it is, what's interesting about that fight scene is that, going back to our Guardian conversation, there's an element of Daredevil, and really of characters like Daredevil, where honor and a sense of um, code are very important. Yeah. And the interesting thing about his battle with Nobu is that they are not there because they hate each other. Yes, one's the villain and one's the hero, but Daredevil really couldn't care about Nobu. And Nobu really couldn't care about Daredevil, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Yet, because of this dichotomy that occurs because of where their interests lie and their their sense of honor. Like, this guy is beating everybody up and this guy is a badass. And so I have to, like, really go at it. That sense just takes an already well-choreographed fight scene and makes it so much more compelling to watch. Yeah. Um... No, I, I totally agree. And I love, like, how Nobu gets set up for it as well. Like, it's all Fisk's, like, the machination of Fisk just being like, no, I knew that he would go himself because he's... Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, again, like, how everything's kind of interwoven and feels organic to the story. Like, setting up Fisk standing alone as the kingpin by getting rid of all of his competition, essentially. Um, but one of, one of my favorite... Um, fight scenes is when he's uh infiltrating the i guess the warehouse to go get the kid in the hallway yeah in the hallway, the hallway scene. Yeah. Episode episode, right? yeah the yeah. second episode awesome. yeah. it's so well done because it's also hiding kind of like you can see like the budgetary constrictions as well where they're you know they probably didn't have enough time to do a full-on like uh you know, long hallway fight, but it's just in and out of doors, hearing some stuff happening, and then, like, when he pushes the guy out the door, and the door is, like, laying on the wall. <laughs> it's like... Well, and the fact that he's exhausted by the end of it, Oh, right? yeah. Like, he is physically 
and emotionally exhausted after the end of it. And you feel that for the next episode. Mm -hmm. Like, it weighs on him. Yeah, it's just him going in these two rooms and taking out, like, it's probably like eight or nine guys, basically, to get to this kid. Because he just, he needs to get this child. And that's, like, the the focus of the first three episodes is kind of centered around this, this idea of, you know, saving one person and having to go through all of this shit just to do it. Um, and it's just executed so well. Um, it just, it blows my mind sometimes how they manage to get around some of these, these fights in ways that, you know, sometimes they felt a little bit like, okay, we've gone through this before, but other times you're just like, man, you feel every punch kind of, um, so I have a question to close this out, Sam. Sure. And uh, I, I'm going to post this question because in as far as I know, Arrow, Smallville, none of them have been able to do this yet. Okay. Does Daredevil be- deserve an Emmy? Ooh. Because I think it does, if for no other reason than for Vincent Wilson Fisk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's the thing where I... Uh... You know, like, what the Oscars and the Emmys have been all about, like, all these superhero things are, like, ruining, blah, blah, you know, great art, whatever. It's just kind of like, this is, this is art. Like, this is taking a character, like, adapting a character for a different medium and doing right by it. I mean, and no one's a terrible actor in this. Like, everyone does really well. And D'Onofrio, like, yeah, even more than Charlie Cox he really just plays the crap out of the kingpin. And so, like, yeah, if they if they opened up the categories or had a, a, a an open mind about these things, I'd say, hells yeah, D'Onofrio deserves an Emmy. Agreed, Jerry? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just like when Frank Miller started out in comics, you know, when he was, what, 1920? Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have any superheroes in his portfolio at all. It was just like gangsters and cars and things like that. And when he went to Daredevil, he really wanted to make it a crime drama and go that style, but just put a superhero in it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I feel the show really went. I mean, I think they literally intended on that is we're making a crime drama and we just happen to have a superhero be the character. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah, it's so well done. It's just kind of like, I really, the way that television is is definitely changing and is just getting better in terms of certain outlets and mediums, it it wouldn't surprise me if in a few years that Netflix television shows are, you know, dominating a lot more than um, the most TV series at this point, because they've proven that, you know, given the, the right amount of episodes and time and money, you can make amazing things happen, you know. Just give them a golden globe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, people's and, choice. <laughs> and kudos for Netflix to Netflix for not making for making a show like this mm-hmm. because historically we've had to rely on HBO or someone else to really give us something of this caliber. I mean, I Stephen Denight, who was the showrunner, constantly refers back to The Wire and that he wanted to make something as compelling as The Wire. Mission accomplished. Um, yeah, so I... But kudos to Netflix for saying, no, those... The, the, the big services are not the only ones. The big TV 
guys are not the only ones who can do this. We can do this, and we can make something that looks good, feels real, and is totally compelling and kind of pushes the limit. Like, for a minute, you forget that this was something that was paid for by Disney. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, the, they pretty much pushed this as far as I think the, the suits at Disney would probably have ever been comfortable with. And yet it, it works and it feels right and it makes sense. And for that, kudos for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, yeah, we're, we're over an hour. Gentlemen, thank you so much for, for being on this special Daredevil review episode. Uh, Jerry, how was it for you? Uh, thanks for having me. I wish we had at least five more hours. I know. <laughs> I, I have so many things that I could bring up, like the POV scene in the taxi when the blind guy is singing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The camera swings. I mean, there's so many things that I really want to expand on, and you limit us to an hour. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Trying to keep people, you know, focused for as long as they can possibly take it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. If this was Arrow, we would have, like, ten episodes. <laughs> we would have each one. See, Netflix, this is the one downside. We can only do one show. Yeah. <laughs> well, next when the next series comes up, maybe we'll just do an episode-by-episode episode review process and uh, we'll go from there <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. when jessica jones comes around be like all right boys let's let's saddle up for a episode by episode <laughs> yeah. i mean brian michael bennis's alias you should probably read that well you don't have to do anything i say but if you want to really <laughs> dig into the next show um that's going to be what uh, the tv show is really about okay it's like reading for everyone, homework, in the uh, next six months. <laughs> so, uh, but Jerry, thank you for, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, JP, always glad to have you on board, sir. I've missed you. I know, I miss you too. Um, and thank you uh, also for writing the review uh, of Daredevil for the site. Uh, really appreciate it and glad to publish anything else you want to write. <laughs> Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Um, so uh, for those who want the details on this show, please, uh, you can follow me at Darling underscore Sammy on Twitter. Uh, you can go on Facebook to uh, Maniacal Curls, uh, which is uh, the group for both Maniacal Geek and That Girl with the Curls podcast. And uh, yeah, uh, trying to work on that iTunes thing. I'm just lazy. So <laughs> uh, JP, do you want to plug anything before we go? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at J-A-P-A-D-U-A. Um, and, you know, go read the, the article I put on Maniacal Geek. It's semi-entertaining. It's, it's, it's good. It's good, people. Uh, Jerry, do you want to plug anything? You got anything going for you? Yeah, not that Sam doesn't already have too much to do, but if uh, you got any questions for me, send them to Sam. She can send them to me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet at me and then I'll just say hashtag AskJerry. Uh, ask yeah, trying to give her more work. Yeah, exactly. I'll pass them along. So, <laughs> but yes, uh, that's true. You know, it's like, but yeah, back in Spanish, <laughs> it's like, come on, Martin. <laughs> All right, thank you, everybody. Good night. Each step I left behind. Each road you know is mine. Walking all a line ten stories high Say you'll still be by my side 